0: This is Central Texas Living with Ann Harder.
1: Hello, everybody. Imagine you're on a fun skiing trip with a family. When suddenly something just does not seem right with your beautiful toddler daughter. And that's exactly what happened to the Nelson family. They were stunned to learn their two-year-old had suffered a stroke. Now the horrors of that diagnosis and the tough days that followed led to life-changing lessons that are now part of a devotional book. A Perfect Storm, Devotions During a Crisis. Joining me now is the author, Sarah Nelson, who's also a contributing writer and influencer for the online parenting publication, Waco Moms Blog. And she also serves on staff at First Woodway Baptist Church. Sarah, it's a delight to have you
0: here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me.
1: You know, what I, what I think is so remarkable about your story is that here we are almost to the day, seven years after this stroke happened to Annalie. And and I of course I'm struck by that number because seven is the number of perfection. And and timing is everything. And here now you have a book to share your thoughts with others. So let's go back to that to that day in February.
0: Well we were on a family ski trip in Park City, Utah. We traveled one day, uh, got settled the next day we woke up. Our three children were ready you know, to start the day, we were going to go skiing for the first time as a family of five. And my two older children had skied before, so they were excited. They were ready to go. And, and their ages at the time? They were five and seven. Okay, little. Little, mm-hmm. little children. And then my youngest daughter was two.
1: And um, so you were you know, going to go skiing, but what kind of alerted you that there was some sort of problem? Because, I mean, to me, I, it just would not be on the radar that a two-year-old could have a stroke.
0: It wasn't for us either. And my daughter woke up that morning. Fortunately, she was a really chatty two year old. And so when she woke up, I looked at her and I said, Where are you going? Because she was walking out of the room and she looked at me and she just didn't really respond. Only half of her face moved. And it was as if she smiled a half smile. And I immediately noticed as a parent, I feel like parents, um, have an intuition. And it it was for some reason, mine was just on high alert that morning. And I noticed that her face was not moving properly. And I thought, well, that's funny that she would do that. I haven't, I haven't ever noticed her give a half smile before. And so I picked her up. I took her into the kitchen. I asked her if she wanted something to eat. I knew she was hungry. And she did. She responded. She was not as talkative. And I just, I didn't know it was because she was two and we were in new surroundings. She was going to the daycare that morning and it was a new place for her. So I thought she might be a little quiet. <laughs> um, but when I picked her up from the daycare at the bottom of the ski resort at 3.30 that day, I noticed that she still was not talking. And she just looked at me and, again, barely smiled, but it was that half smile. And I immediately knew something was wrong.
1: So so your first uh, inclination was to call your doctor back home? Is that what?
0: Yeah. So I took her straight to the car. Mark mm-hmm. was getting the other kids uh, loaded up into the car with all of their ski gear. And I, I looked at him and I said, something is wrong. We have to get her to a doctor. And so we went back to the lodge. Within five minutes, we were on the phone with our pediatric nurse here back in Waco, Texas. I was telling her these symptoms. As I was on the phone with her, I noticed Adelie was walking around, and her legs started to dip. And I thought that was odd. And I told the nurse, I said, we're going to take her to the clinic. Uh, just wanted to let you know what we should do. We ended the conversation, and Mark and I decided— Uh, the rational and logical thing to do would be to take her to the clinic on the side of the mountain. And if there was a serious situation, they would then take us to a children's hospital. I will tell you, my mother's intuition was not okay with that. And Mark was speaking wisdom and logic into the situation. But my mother's gut was telling me I'm not at peace with this decision. And as we were talking about it, the nurse called me back. She said, I just talked to your pediatrician. I I told her about the symptoms. She said, do not take her to the clinic on the side of the mountain. Take her straight into Salt Lake City to the Children's Hospital there. It's about a 30-minute drive. And so I literally, in my ski gear, Mark is in his ski gear, we picked up Adalie. I picked up my purse and her diaper bag. We were able to leave the kids with Mark's family who was with us, and we loaded up in the car, and we headed straight into the city to the hospital.
1: Such a, a an amazing and a miracle in a way that you weren't a, at a typical ski resort where you're you could be hours away from a major medical center.
0: Yes, we were very fortunate because when someone has a stroke, time is of the essence, and you have to get them treatment as soon as possible. Because the sooner you can get treatment, it lessens long term effects. Of course, we didn't know that at the time. We were just taking our daughter to the hospital and didn't know that she was having a stroke until we got there.
1: So the doctors give you this, you know, stunning diagnosis. Um, what, you know, what are the first things that went through your mind? I mean, what, what's going on at that point?
0: Well, as they were giving us the diagnosis that it was a whirlwind, mm-hmm. she had lost her ability to speak. He, he, Uh, he meaning the ER pediatric neurologist who was on call at the time was showing us how she was losing the ability and weakening in her right side of her body. And he was able to show us that and how he moved her hand. And so we were literally watching her abilities dissipate. And by that next day, she was completely paralyzed on the right side of her body and she couldn't speak. And so it was a whirlwind. We didn't know if she would ever speak again, Every stroke is different. Every recovery is different. They can just give you general ideas of what may or may not happen. I didn't know if she would be in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. I didn't know if she would have a normal childhood. The rug of normality was pulled out from underneath us. And so I didn't have any idea moving forward what normal was going to look like.
1: Yeah, and we... We want to know. We, we we want to be able to see into a crystal ball or to, to know what the future holds. And when your child's had such a, a radical health crisis, I mean, you, you didn't know if she were going to be wheelchair bound or, you know, whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. The doctors told us, and there was a huge team of pediatric neurologists that we had at our disposal at this incredible children's hospital in Salt Lake City. But they told us, like I said, every stroke is different, but every stroke recovery and patient is different, and we there are no guarantees. And they said someone like this, a child like this, has a good chance at recovery because their brains are developing and neurons will reconnect. But they said they'll never regain a hundred percent of what they've lost. And he said. So a full recovery is not possible. He said she could only gain up to 80% of what she lost, and that would be considered what he thought would be a full recovery.
1: So she needed to go into to rehab therapy for weeks, right?
0: Yes, we were in the hospital for two weeks up in Salt Lake City. They then uh, admitted her to an inpatient rehabilitation hospital for children in Dallas. At the time, it was called Our Children's House. It was uh, under the umbrella of the Baylor Hospital Network. Fortunately, in in, in my hometown of Dallas and in our backyard, since uh, we li- our home is here in Waco, and so we were fortunate that that was close to home. So she stayed in that inpatient facility rehabilitation center for about a month and then stayed several days after as an outpatient. Initially, she was actually, we were told that initially she would have an eight to 12 week stay. And that actually uh, was only a four week stay because she did so well in her recovery.
1: Oh, and that's that's such a um, an answer to prayer. And that brings me then to your faith and how, you know, when, when something like this happens, when a, a crisis happens in your family, um, having a church family, having folks lift you up and pray for you and pray for Adelaide, that, that met the world.
0: It did. I was standing in the PICU, Pediatric Intensive Care Unit, after the doctors had given me this prognosis of what a recovery may or may not look like. And I was sit- I was standing there by myself, and I just took a moment and said, God, I know you're bigger than this. I know that if you want her to walk and talk and run, that you have the power to do that. But I also know that sometimes we pray things and they don't turn out the way we want them, not for any, and and we may not know the reason why. and, And that has to be okay too. So I just said, Lord, I pray your will be done. Lord, I pray over her. I pray that you would give her a full recovery. Lord, I pray that she will walk. I pray that she will talk. And Lord, I pray she will run and that she will be a normal kid. And so I prayed that prayer, but I had to hand it off to God. And I had to hand the baton of prayer off to our family, our friends, our church, our community, and asked them to pray that prayer. And they did. And what started as a prayer uh, with our family and our friends in our church spread from, to Dallas, to Houston, where our parents lived, and their churches. People called their prayer chains, their pastors, their churches were praying. It spread to Indiana, where I have extended family. My sister lives in California. We have friends in New Jersey And it ended up being what I call our army of prayer warriors that ended up being thousands of people praying on behalf of our daughter, this specific prayer of healing over her. And it was incredible because we then began to see that answered prayer and those results in the hospital.
1: And you tell me that you could actually feel, you could feel that support.
0: Absolutely. It's hard to describe, but I could feel the strength of the prayers sustaining us it was incredible and I began to feel as if I wanted people to know how God was working in that and so I put together a blog through caring bridge blogs to update everyone on her uh, just her process of recovery because there were so many people praying for her. Yeah. And they want,
1: wanted to be updated. They wanted to know every day, you know, we were getting
0: uh, calls, texts, emails, people were leaving messages and there's no way in that situation where you have time to respond to everyone. The only people we had time to respond to were my parents. I would notify my parents. Mark would talk to his parents each day and then they would be able to um, communicate with everyone else at that time. And so it became a way where we were able to communicate with everyone Um, on the time that we had uh, just to sit down and write a quick update. And then that turned into me really feeling led to share how God was working in the situation because I was seeing this answered prayer and I felt so compelled that this story was supposed to be shared, that the people who were praying for her were supposed to know how their prayers were being answered. And I knew and Mark knew that at that moment, it was not just about us. There was something um, bigger, that there was a bigger picture and that there was something larger at work here. And I knew it was important to share because not only did it build our faith, but it does build the faith of others when they can see how their prayers are answered.
1: Yeah, this is, this has been a time um, that's been so hard. There have been, there's been so much loss and heartbreak due to COVID. You know, people, we've all lost people we know that were perfectly healthy and then and then they get this virus that some people recover from easily and and others it puts them in the hospital and they even succumb to it so th- this encouragement through the form of a devo- devotional book is really incredible because it's the kind of thing you can, you can read one each day or you know sit down and read it's an easy read to read through it at, at, in one sitting um, but I love the the fact that you decided to make it into a devotional book—how did how did all that come about?
0: Well, as I said, I started sharing her process of recovery with everyone on this blog, and during that time, I then began to share uh, some additional lessons that God was teaching me based upon the scripture that our Sunday school class had given to us in a care package. And it was scripture written on note cards, kind of on a three ring binder where I could flip through it.
1: And just your your fellow classmates just wrote scriptures that meant something to them. Yes. So then you could, random, sort of.
0: Yes, and they gave it to us. And I could see the lessons like breathing through these scriptures and coming to life. So I began to share that. And then as I was in the inpatient rehabilitation center with us, I start getting this impression that I was supposed to share this testimony of how the Lord had prepared me with the verse of Psalm one eighteen twenty four. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Um, when Natalie was born, the year she was born, we moved cross country. Um, a year after we had moved cross-country. So we moved back to Waco from Florida. We had a career change. We had an add-on to my business. I had a new child, and it was all wonderful, beautiful things.
1: But it's a lot.
0: But it's a lot. And I was literally navigating the newborn fog at the time. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Getting my kids to school, I was... It was a lot to handle. And I just started quoting that scripture because I knew I needed it in the mornings. This is all, these are all good things. So this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice, even though I have a lot on my plate, because these things are good and God is good. And I knew He was disciplining me for something, but I didn't know what it was. And I realized in the hospital with Adelie, He was disciplining me for this moment. And that verse came to mind that regardless of what happens to my daughter to our life God is still good and this is a day the Lord has made and I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it not just because of what God does for us because of who he is and I was in the hospital I began to feel so impressed to share that and I thought I am I don't want to share this this is so vulnerable I said I've already been open and sharing in this crisis this is uh, this is not something that I want to turn around and and turn it make it about me. I don't want it to come across as I'm making this story about me or turn this platform around. It just felt so weird, but I couldn't shake it. So I prayed about it after several days. I felt so impressed to share this testimony on this blog. But at this point, so many people that I didn't know were reading this blog and it felt so raw and vulnerable since we were walking through this crisis. And one night after I put Adelie to bed, we were laying in the hospital And I prayed, Lord, if you want me to share this testimony of Psalm 118, 24, then I will. I just need a sign because this is hard what we're dealing with. And I want to know that this is from you and that this isn't um, something that is going to be turned around uh, and told about me. So because we were under the Baylor Network and in the hospital, they had chaplains and every... Day, they would bring breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they would have scripture on the trays. And so I prayed that prayer the evening before I went to bed. We woke up the next morning, and the breakfast tray that they gave Adelie that morning had a scripture, and the scripture was Psalm one eighteen twenty four. 24. <laughs> this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I just started laughing. I was like, okay, God, you literally just... <laughs> you gave me this sign on a silver platter. Like really, you couldn't have served it up to me in any more obvious way. And so I did, I shared it on the blog. I wrote it out and I just gave it to him. And I said, I don't know why I'm supposed to share this. It could be for one person. It could be for many, but I'm supposed to do it. And I just have to let it go because I may never see the reason why. And I have to be okay with that.
1: here it is, seven years later, and I'm sure a lot of those kinds of uh, details could be lost. Um, your devotions, though, as you tell the story of Adelie and and, and your family and what all was go- you were going through, um, it, each each chapter or devotion uh, includes applications and also questions um, for folks to to kind of help them process whatever it is they're going through. How important is it, do you think, for folks to journal and to write down their thoughts?
0: It's really important because it allows us to go back and see what we were feeling and remember the sights, the sounds, what was happening, because so, mon- so many times God uses those things in those circumstances to alert us where his spirit can really move in our hearts and in our minds and in the circumstances around us. And we then can look back on that when we're going through a difficult time, maybe down the road and we can look back and we can say, God is good. He did this for me. Then he'll bring me through again. And there's something to be learned in these, in these difficult times. And it's, I think it's important to remember those things.
1: I know one of the things you you said was, um, has your life instantly changed and your normal turned upside down? I mean, obviously that happened to you uh, back in 2014. Um, But I kind of, what came to my head was, well, this happens the moment you give birth to a baby. (laughs) As soon as, as soon as you have a child, I mean, your, your normal is never going to be the same and you will always, you know, have those, those thoughts and concerns for that child, no matter their age.
0: Absolutely. And the rug of normality, like I said, was pulled out from underneath us. We didn't know what our life was going to look like moving forward. Uh, Adelie was in inpatient rehab for, you know, over a month. And then she was in outpatient rehabilitation for physical therapy, for occupational therapy for almost three years. And so life did look different. And at the same time, we were trying to keep it as normal as possible, but then find a new normal. And I think that's something that's on the forefront of all of our minds right now. We've all had to deal with crisis, uh, not just individually, but together as a world. And we all have had this similar experience that that we are all walking together. And some of us have suffered greatly and some of us may have just been affected in smaller ways, but we've all experienced this together moving forward. And so this devotional is written in an unconventional format, really based on the backdrop of a personal story. But the point is to allow the scripture to breathe life into the lessons for people who are walking a difficult journey right now, because the scripture will speak to us anywhere, anytime, to anyone going through any type of situation.
1: Well, let's talk about another interesting aspect to your devotional book, and that's that you have a guest contributor. Uh, tell, tell us about Shelly.
0: Shelly is a friend of mine. And before this happened, the December before everything, before we faced this crisis, uh, we sat in a restaurant with three other friends, and she announced that she was having her fourth child. And so we were excited for her, and, um, and then I didn't see her for several months because we were in the hospital. So once we got back from the hospital, we were trying to establish a normal routine. I was spending time with my son, who I had been apart from for a couple of months because we were in the hospital, and I was uh, serving at field day for his elementary school because it was at the end of the school year. And I saw my friend Shelly because her daughter was in his class. And she walked up. She was in her third trimester. She looked beautiful. I said, oh, Shelly, you look beautiful. I said, what are you having? I couldn't couldn't wait to find out. And she said, well, I'm having a girl, but she's not going to live. And I was shocked. Here I had been in a life-threatening situation with my child, and I got to bring my child home, and my child lived. And even though I had just walked this crisis, I felt so ill-equipped. I had no words to comfort her. I didn't know what to say, but my heart just broke. And I said, I am so sorry. And then she looked at me, and I was floored at what she said. She looked at me, and she said, but you know what, Sarah? I read your blog on Psalm 118.24. And it changed my perspective in how I am looking at this. And I had no words. I didn't know what to say. But God allowed me to understand why he wanted me to share that testimony while I was in the hospital about Psalm 118.24. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And he used that scripture and that testimony to speak to a friend who had just found out she was about to lose a child and who was walking this road of grief and loss. And she had a lot of questions at the time, but she said it changed how she was viewing the entire situation.
1: And what she shared is beautiful, as she wrote two of the devotions. She
0: did. She shared her story in devotions 24 and 25, which are God is good all the time and God cares for the brokenhearted. And how he ministered to her through that time, and it is an incredible testimony, and it's a really, it's a, it's a turning point in this story because the whole point of this is to show how God gives comfort in crisis, and how He wants to be there for us, but we can receive His comfort. Uh, But in verse uh, Second Corinthians um, one, it says, uh, "Praise be." The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So it takes our journeys and it takes what we're going through when we receive God's comfort, when we receive his strength, we then know how to turn and be the hands and feet of Christ to give comfort to other people in the same way that God has comforted us.
1: Well, the one thing we haven't talked about is how Adelie is today. I mean, she's nine years old now. And do you, have, do you see any residual effects of the stroke that she had?
0: If you looked at her, you would never know. She mm-hmm. is vivacious. She's full of joy. She's a third grader. She is the life of the party who is so funny and witty. And she has very minor residual effects. If you didn't know, like I said, you wouldn't... Uh, pick up on it, Um, when she was recovering use of her right arm and leg, she began to refer to it as righty (laughs) because the therapist would say, okay, let's tell righty what to do. (laughs) And we still to this day refer to her right hand or right fingers or right toes or right whatever part of the body it is as righty. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a third person and we bring righty (laughs) along with us. And every now and then she'll say, uh, mom, look what Riley can do today. If she crosses her fingers a certain way, um, or sometimes it's a little weaker on the right side, but it never prevents her from doing what she wants to do.
1: And that is, that is such a beautiful testimony. And so, um, you know, just encouraging to us, uh, you wrote this devotion though, for folks who are in a crisis, really. Um, what, what takeaway do you want them to have?
0: First of all, I want them to know that God wants to comfort us mm-hmm. all the time, but especially when we are in our greatest need. He wants to reveal himself to us. But I think the important part of receiving that is knowing that once we receive that, we have the opportunity to see how our situation gives God glory and how do we use it for his glory. Do we turn around and we help someone else in need? Because do we really, we can grow in our faith and it can build our faith, but what are we doing to then turn around and and give to someone else? We can have an inward perspective where we receive, and there are times where we're in a stage of receiving. But once we get past that, can we then turn around and have an outward perspective of serving others and loving others in similar situations, and allowing God to have glory in that.
1: Well, it is a beautiful story. And um, I appreciate you being with us today. I like to end these visits, though, with a questionnaire. It's similar to the one that the late, great James Lipton used on Inside the Actor's Studio. (laughs) Have you done this before? No. So what's your favorite word? My favorite
0: word. That's a great question. <laughs> oh, You're kind goodness. of a wordsmith,
1: very much so. <laughs>
0: okay. Favorite word is joy. Mm-hmm. That's the first word that comes to my mind.
1: Yeah, that's good.
0: And we're obviously talking about this, um, so that's kind of on on the top of my mind right now, but where do we find our joy in these circumstances?
1: Right, right. What's your least favorite word?
0: Ooh, My least favorite word? Arrogance. Hmm. These right. are really not fun oh, questions. These are not fun answers, Anne. No, that, <laughs> like I love it. I mean,
1: I, I do this to just about everybody, you know, and I love the responses. So, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, emotionally?
0: Uh, that's a great question. Uh, a cup of coffee. <laughs> Okay. Give me about two cups of coffee and give me till about 9 a.m. And between <laughs> 9 and 10 a.m., that is where I really kind of come come alive and my creative juices start flowing. Um, but I also try to get that quiet time into. So spiritually speaking, uh, once I have that cup of coffee and, and, and try to do that, then yes, I do feel like those are, are moments where I spiritually come alive as well.
1: Okay. What turns you off then creatively or spiritually or emotionally?
0: These are great questions. Uh, turns me off being too busy. Yeah. Uh, that's hard because uh, it's draining, and then we don't have bandwidth that we need for to, to really kind of follow through on the areas that we need to follow through with.
1: Mm-hmm. What sound do you love the most? I might add, fabulous singer. I love to hear <laughs> you sing. Sarah. Thank you.
0: The sound that I love to hear most right now is... Kind of a house full of fun chaos, <laughs> but on the opposite end of the spectrum, um, this has been just kind of a, a stage in life where I've I've turned on my XM in the car, and if you know me, you know I I used to own a spa, and so I turn on spa music. Oh yeah, because it is just so soothing and relaxing, and it kind of um, it takes the busyness out of my mind and kind of relaxes me. So I like this. I like the sound of spa. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's good. Um, do you have a least favorite sound?
0: I have a son, and so yes, I have a least favorite sound. <laughs> hey, I, had th- I had
1: three boys, so yeah. That we'll just leave it there. <laughs> what other profession would you like to try?
0: So my dream job, mm-hmm. you mentioned I sing. My dream job is that I would be the voice of a Disney princess.
1: Well, and you could be. <laughs> so
0: no question. No, no I, 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 used, I, I could
1: be the Wicked Witch. But.
0: Oh no, you have a beautiful voice. Uh, you know, I used to own a spa in skincare, and that was such a fun job for me because um, I'm a. I have a background in business. I had a day spa, and we actually had a skincare line, and and I love. I love pretty stuff. I love skincare and all that. So there are days where I think back to that, how it'd be fun to do that again.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there a job, you know, you would not want to do?
0: Yes. I don't (laughs) want to clean my house, but I know it has to be done. Yeah. Um, I think our teachers are incredible Mm -hmm. heroes, um, but they have such difficult jobs and, um, I know you have to feel called as a teacher, and I'm grateful for the people who do feel called to do that.
1: Yeah, amen. All right, finally, what do you want to hear God say to you as you enter the pearly gates?
0: Well, in Scripture it says, he says, um, well done, good and faithful servant. And so I I definitely want to know in especially projects like this where it's taken me a long time to follow through, but I know he's really wanted me to do it and maybe it's been hard to get it done, that it was for a plan and it was for a purpose and he saw it through.
1: Very good. So how can folks get your book?
0: Well, they can go to Amazon and purchase it on Amazon. They can also go to my blog, Sarah Nelson blog dot com and they can click on a link to purchase it uh, via amazon there as well and we're also going to be releasing it through barnes and noble here very soon an audio book maybe i would love that i think you should i love you know publishing a book is so much work i would love to do that and so we have talked about that and we're just taking it one step at a a time but when it is released in those formats it will be on my blog website
1: very good. A Perfect Storm, Devotions During a Crisis by Sarah Nelson and Shelly Reeves. Shelly Reeves, absolutely. All right, again, thank you so much, Sarah. It's been a delight.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. are you building a new business while managing a family? Are you tired of trying to balance home and work and everything seems to be coming up short? Then there's a podcast made just for you. Baking Your Business from Scratch is where we create the perfect recipe for building a successful business while managing your home and family with love. Come join us and see for yourself. you build.